we have been considering focusing on a Christ over the past year and a half, and through it all, we have moved all the way through the reign and reflection of Christ. We have been considering the reflection of Christ, considering the individual reflection, seeing that whatever is um, residing and reigning in our heart is going to come out in what we say and what we do. And that's going to be the same thing collectively as we gather together as a church. And so we spent the last so many weeks considering the illustrations of the church that God has placed in his word. We considered the building, the bride, and the, the body. And then uh, we wanted to slide over into from the illustrations of the church into the interactions of the church. And today we want to begin looking at those interactions of the church by looking at how the church is supposed to treat one another. And throughout the, the New Testament, there are a lot of what we refer to as one another passages that talk about how the, the body of Christ, the church of Christ, the individuals, members of the church of Christ, are supposed to treat one another. And for me... The, the, prime, the primary treatment of, of any person or anything should come down and be um, uh, based upon the greatest command. The greatest commandment is what? The love of the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength or all your mind. Okay, And so the fact is then that the greatest commandment is to, to love God. And Jesus said, and the second was like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, it's really interesting that loving one another is the reflective symbol that Jesus said would be on the church whereby all men would know that we were his disciples. That's exactly right. And so we're going to go to the, the, um, John 15 in a moment, but we're going to camp out here in 1 John 4 um, a lot because this is really where John does a big expose of this love. And the fact that this love is um, going to be symbolic of, of who we are in Christ. Well, first of all, we have in 1 John 4, verse 7, if you're there, hopefully still in 1 John 4, you see in verse 7, the command is, Beloved, let us love one another. It's not a request, actually. <clears throat> it's, not a, it's not a plea. This is a command. Okay, It's a command stating that we, as one another, should be, followers of Jesus Christ, in that we are supposed to love one another. Turn back with me then, keep your finger there, because we'll keep coming back to 1 John 4, to John 13. John 13, does anybody know what is going on in chapter 13 of John? John 13 was just before the communion supper, when the disciples were were arguing and complaining and, and debating who was the greatest. And in the mid- middle of the, the debate of who the greatest was, Jesus uh, stood up, took off his outer robe, put on a towel, and went around and began to wash their feet. That's right. And he started with Peter. Remember, Peter said, oh, Lord, no, you can't stoop down that low and wash my feet. And he says, listen, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. He says, oh, well, you misunderstood, Lord. I didn't mean just my feet. I meant all of me. And he says, well, listen, if you're clean, you don't need me to give you a bath. You only need me to wash your feet. But I'm setting you an example, and the example that I'm setting you is, is that if I am your teacher and your Lord, and, and you, so you say, and rightly so, and I'm serving you, therefore you ought to seek to serve one another. Now, we'll come back to that one um, next week. But in the midst of all that, in the midst of his serving them, he turns around to them and says in verse 35, 34, to them, and I'm going to stick with context here and start at verse 31, 
It says, so when he had gone out, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Turn a page potentially in your Bible to chapter 15. Verse 13, it says, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Okay, Jesus had given the commandment to them that, that they should love one another. And so it was going to be that commandment that when the world saw it, that they were going to give testimony to God. And so when the world looks in at Family Bible Church, when the world looks into the Church of Augusta, when the world looks into the Church of the United States, when the world looks into the Church of Jesus Christ globally, if you would, what should they see? They should see love. They should see love for one another, not animosity toward one another. They should see love. And the love that they see, theoretically, since it says that, will be reflective, it should be reflective, of the love that they expect should expect God to have for, for them. So, think about that. If you have an unbeliever who's looking in at a church, let's pick, pick on us, okay, it's, it's, you know, we could pick on other churches. It's always nicer to pick on other churches. But we'll pick on our own. What could they expect the love of Christ to look like for them by considering the love that we have for one another? That's the picture that's being, that's being portrayed here. That's the command that's being given. That by all this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Well, that's the command. That's pretty simple. It's put right out there. The command to love. But what's the basis back there in 1 John 4, verse 7? What's the basis, verse 7 and verse 8, actually, for this love? He says, Beloved, let us love one another. Why? For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God. So what's the basis of love? It's Salvation. It's knowing God. That if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've experienced the love of God in your life, because God is love, and love is of God, and so since He's the fountainhead of love, if you know Him, and you've experienced His love, you will, by nature, by nature, want to exude that love to others. I look at my kids, and in each of my children, much to my chagrin many times, I see myself. Sometimes it's the positive traits, but usually what causes me to see myself in them is the what? The negative traits, that's right. And I see my wife in them, much to our blessings. I'm a wise man. Anyways. Now, the reality, though, is in each one of those children, there's a blend, yes? But 
whether it's physical, I mean, I kind of chuckle sometimes. You know, one of the kids may look like me but act like Marsha. One of the kids may look like Marsha but act like me. You know, one of them may have a little bit of a blending of the looks between us and the, and the actions and stuff like that. But the point I'm making is that just physically, just naturally, because they have been born to, my, to Marcia and I, they have traits that come from being born of us. Does that make sense? They act certain ways. They have per certain personality types because they were my kid. Fortunate or unfortunate, you can decide. Anyways, the, the point is they act that way. Jesus said, you must be born again. You need to be born of the water and born of the Spirit. You must be born again. And just as naturally, physically, we take on the traits of our earthly fathers. So when we are born again spiritually, we're told that the same kind of process happens. There is a quickening that goes on once you are saved. There is a, a being made alive that happens. For you once were dead when you walked in your trespasses and sins, but now God has what? Made you alive. And you are born again. And just then, as you were physically, so spiritually, take the same concept. You should be exuding, you should be reflecting some personality types of your heavenly father does that make sense just as you reflect your earthly parents so you should be reflecting your spiritual heavenly parent it should be seen in you and if that is individually true what happens when we as a group of people that are you know like my family when my family comes together it's my family is different than your family okay i mean I mean, we're the same in a sense, but we're different in a sense, you know? When my family gets together, we like playing board games, okay? We like playing Settler's Catan or Risk or, or uh, Stock Market or, you know, whatever. whatever. Whatever kind of game I can get going, I love to play games. And so my kids like to play games. Does that make sense? We talked to the girls this week on the phone, or Marcia did. Wasn't you, Yeah, you. And, and you said it sounded like what behind her? Tim. Sounded like they were at Walmart. They were just in my house. And, and it just happened my brother and sister were in town, so they came over, and my, my, my oldest younger sister, if you understand, i got two younger sisters, so the oldest, when they went to visit. But my youngest sister came over as well, and... You think I'm boisterous and loud at times. You haven't seen nothing until if you if, if you if you'd come and just be in my house with my family, okay? I mean, we're talking about volume, okay? It's just it's there, okay? I'm very quiet. I am the docile one, and and so you, that's very hard to to imagine, okay? But and so there's Timmy on the phone, and it sounds like just, I mean, they got thousands of people there, and everything's going on, okay? Well, those are things that are representative of my family. When those who are called by God's name, who are reflecting him, who have been adopted as his children, come together, how much greater should be the, the, the basic um, attributes, characteristic traits? Does that make sense? I mean, me and my mom and dad, you know, we can kind of get a little bit loud. With my brother and sister, we can kind of get a little loud. 
with my sister being kind of... But when you put everybody together, it's loud. You take one believer in Jesus Christ, there should be love exuding. You put two of them together, there should be more love. You put a whole group of believers in Jesus Christ together, there should be a whole lot of love. You know? And, and it kind of joke, you know, the, the worldly thing, where's love, baby? Where's love, you know, kind of stuff? Well, in the church, that shouldn't even be a question. It shouldn't even be a question, where's the love? For the early church, that was the greatest trait that the rest of the world saw. They saw a commitment to one another that was based upon their love. And all these other things, these one another's we're going to be looking at, they're really all going to be a basis of loving one another. Because they love one another, they're going to do these things. They're going to serve one another. They're going to, they're going to bear with one another. Okay? They're going to receive one another. All these things are going to happen because they love one another. Now, the question we need to ask before we even move on into this is basis of love and the command of love, and that is what is, what is love? What is love? Well, clearly, there are, you've been here long enough. You know there are multiple Greek words for, for love. There's eros, which is selfish love. It's, it's where we get our word erotic from. I love you. You can do from it. There's phileo. It's brotherly love. I love you, um, and I'll do anything for you, but if there's only one bowl of porridge left, I can go find some because it's mine. Because my love stops when it comes down to sacrifice. But then there's agape love, agape, which is selfless love which says, if there's only enough porridge for me or you, it's your porridge. And no, it's not because I don't like porridge. <laughs> okay, It's because survival, you're more important than, than I am. So, if you are saved, then you will start to reflect this. And so John wants us to get it. Verse 7, verse 8. So he says it in two different ways. First, positively. Secondly, negatively. He says, everyone who's, who loves is born of God and knows God. That kind of makes sense. But then he comes back to the negative side and says what? So, if you don't love, you what? You don't know God. There are certain character traits, again, that will be reflective of those who know God. A, they will not want to walk in darkness. First John chapter 1, they will not want to walk in darkness and stay there. They will be convicted and they will repent. That doesn't mean that they won't slip. They may slip, they may fall, but when convicted of it, they will repent. They will seek to walk according to the commandments of God, 1 John chapter 2. But also 1 John chapter 2, 3, and 4, they will love the brethren. And we also see in 1 John 3 and 4 that they will confess that Jesus Christ has come in the, the flesh. The, the Bible says so, the scripture says so, I don't say it. If you are struggling with love, or there is no love, where is the love? Then you have to ask yourself, do you really know God? Because if, if you don't, it doesn't matter now, it'll matter then. Does that make sense? And you can fool everybody else, but in that day you won't fool God. And then it'll be eternity. So the basis of love moves us then into the priority of love. He goes on, 1 John 4 there and says, In this the love of God, this is verse 9, I'm sorry, In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live 
through him. Well, God first loved us. Does that make sense? We love him because he first loved us. Now, in that light, then, there is a priority of, of love that's going on. Jesus already discussed that, and we talked about it in the very beginning, of that command, the greatest commandment, was to do what? To love God, okay? And so, whoop, I didn't put those in there like I thought it was. So the first priority in that love is to love, to love God. I love him back in response to his love for me. God's priority of love was exhibited to me in that, we'll talk about this in a moment, in that he, he sacrificed, but that, that priority of love was huge. Well, in that then, I love him because he first loved me. That first priority of my love then is to, is to love God. But my second priority, the next priority of my love, is to love my, love my neighbor as myself. Now, the question always is, as was asked there in the gospel, who is my, who is my neighbor? And Jesus gives a great illustration of the, of the Good Samaritan, okay? And, and the, the Jewish man that was left for dead. Now, by all rights, who should have been the one to help the Jew? The Jews. The priests and the Levite. But let's forget that they're priests and Levites for a moment, because we're not going to go on that side of it. I think they had valid reasons not to, because of the law. And that's a different story. But Jews should have been willing to help Jews even if it meant potentially becoming unclean. It's just that they misunderstood the, the word of God. The one who should have, by all rights, passed him by. Not saying he should have. Yes? They missed the priority of love. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. That's where I'm going. They missed the priority of it. But the Samaritan didn't. He stopped and helped, even though the Jew would have done what? probably passed him by. He didn't pass him by. And so Jesus said, you've heard it said, you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies and pray for those who despitefully use you. Your neighbors include not only the ones that you like, your neighbors include the ones that you don't like. Now, that sounds like, I thought we were talking about the church. I am. Sadly to say, it would be nice if when you go to an assembly, you liked everybody there. But usually it's not the case. Now I know it's got to be the case here because we're so small, right? <laughs> we're not one of those big churches where you look down and you see that that, that guy that ripped you off last week when he came, anyways, you know. And so, but the fact is that no matter what size it is, we always think about the church of Corinth must have been a huge church because of all the problems they had. I've been in the church of 100, 70, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, small churches have equally the number of problems, right? And the minute you have two people in a church, you have problems because you have two sinners, Right? who will respond inappropriately at some point or another. You've heard of the guy that was on the island, discovered on the island when they got there? There were three buildings. They asked him, what's that? It's my house. What's that one? It's my church. He said, well, what's that one? He said, it's the church I used to go to. <laughs> Anyways, the point, the point, it just takes one center, man. I mean, you know, and, and there's an issue, okay? And so 
Some of you haven't got that one yet. Well, come, I'll explain it later. Anyways, so the point is that even then in the church, think about it. If the command for us is to love one another, because the whole world will know that we're disciples of Christ if we have love for one another, the, the application, somebody just got it. Anyways, this is great. <laughs> Anyways, um, the, the application then is, if I am supposed to love one another, and I can't view certain people as people that I really enjoy being around, I have no out. When I do marital counseling, I love to do this, because I usually don't do marital counseling with people because they love each other. You know, this is the, the best day in the world. I mean, they're, they're in dreamland together and everything, and they just decided that it was time for marital counseling. It's just a good thing to have. I mean, everybody should have marital counseling here and there. We're just we're in dreamland, and so we just want to continue dreamland. So we're gonna... No, normally, marital counseling happens when what? When, you know, it... It's like one of those movements of the, 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 the fighter jets. You ever watch the shows where they come up and all of a sudden the jets go, and they go two opposite ways? That's what the marriage is about. Like they were, they were going together really good and then all of a sudden someone did something and they're going to go opposite ways. And my job is to try to do what? They're going to come back and pattern together. And, um, and so many times I'll ask them, do you love them? You know, with that agapot, no. Well, can you love them like a neighbor? No. I said, you kind of see them like an enemy right now, don't you? Yes. I said, well, you know what Jesus said, right? What? Love your enemies. <laughs> Guess what? You have no out. You have no out. And if you're called by his name, you have no out. Love. Love. Love is the is the attribute that is going to be reflective of those who know Jesus Christ. And so last week we talked about the body, and we talked about the members of the body all being one. And in 1 Corinthians 12 it says about those uncomely parts that we tend to not like, but that we give it more honor. We give them more, more service. We take care of our feet at times. Even though our feet are the uncomely parts, we want to take care of our feet because we walk on them all day. Our nose. You know, many people are, don't like their noses, you know, whether they're too big or too wide or whatever, they run too much, you know, whatever. But we take care of our what? Noses. I mean, think of it. We'll spend, you know, puffs. You know why puffs with the extra oil can charge more? Because people are willing to pay more for their Nose, because if your nose starts to hurt, it's, it's a bummer. And so, so even though there are parts of our bodies and things that we don't like, yet we're told that we cannot assume that they're not part of the, the body. And yet we are supposed to treat them with more and greater love, if you would, is the, what the illustration is. And so, my question to you is, in this priority of love, do you honestly love Everybody that's here, and I'm talking with an agopao love, a selfless love, not an erotic love, and I don't mean it like the world uses that in a sexual sense, but a selfish love. I love you for what you can do for me. Not just a phileo love. I love you, and I'll do anything for you until it comes to my stuff, and then I'll say my stuff takes priority. But God calls us to love 
with an agapao love. And if that's the case, then it will be manifested in that way. We see the manifestation of love. Turn with me to First Peter 1. First Peter chapter 1. Verse 22. It says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides, forever. Peter says, since you have been, what? Purified. What is he saying? Break it down to me. Since you've been what? Since you've been saved. Since you've been saved, since you know God, okay, since you've been purified and obeying the truth, okay, what should you do? Love one another fervently with what? With a pure heart. That word sincere means what? With all falseness, trueness. Okay? That means with a true heart. A pure heart. Do you get it where he's going? Many times we can love people in word and in tongue. I love you, man. I, I, I love you, buddy. Love you. You know, and we, we say what? We say words. We say them to our kids sometimes at home, yes? Okay? And honestly, I struggle with my love for my family. I, I've always been honest about that. You know, I'd love to say that I, I truly agapao each of my children and my wife. I'm probably a full O plus. I might be a double plus. But I don't even think I've gotten to Agapao minus yet. I, I, I hope. That's my, my goal. My, you know. But if you ever feel like you've gotten there, guess what? You probably haven't. Okay. So so just hear me on that. I'm I'm being pridefully humble. Okay. So I'm just so I'm putting it out there. But but it ought to be the goal that I want to be loving each of you with an Agapao love. I know my flesh gets in the way. I know it. And the hardest thing is doing the right thing with a wrong heart. Does that make sense? You can do the right thing with a wrong heart. And God judges your what? Your heart, not your works. Do you get it? But we still camp out on works. To the church of Ephesus in Revelation 2, 3. Revelation 3, 2. Now I'm messing myself up. Anyways, it's the beginning of one of those chapters, verses 1 to 7. To the church of Ephesus, he writes, he says, I know your works. I know the things that you've done for me. I know that you've tested those who said they're prophets, and they're not. You've done all these wonderful things. Nevertheless, I have one thing against you. You've lost your first love. 
And if you don't repent and return from whence you have fallen, I will come and remove your candlestick. Love. Love. Works are important. But hear what Jesus said. It doesn't matter how good your doctrine is. It doesn't matter how fervent your your ardent your working for me is. If you're not doing it from love for God and then for his his children, you have a wrong motivation. And God is the one who judges the thoughts and intents of the heart. He cares about your heart. So again, I go back up to that, that priority of love. Coming into this manifestation side now. Do you do things just because? Listen, I, I learned when I was in the military what I was supposed to do as an officer. It wasn't what I wanted to do. I wanted to hang out. But as the officer, I was supposed to be in charge. I really don't like saluting people. That's really a pain. You know, when you go down into AIT Road, you guys know what AIT Road is? AIT Road is up in Fort Gordon's where all the AIT units were at. And as an officer, you didn't want to go there. Because you know what those guys did? They would spread out and salute. Because <laughs> that meant that they only saluted once, but you had to keep going down the, the road, saluting every person. I hated it. Anyways, but I learned in the military to play the position. Do you understand? Does it make sense? I was a computer programmer. I had a civilian job. I just wore a uniform. And every once in a while, when I went, we went on tests and stuff, you know, like the 82nd Airborne to the Special Forces up in Massachusetts and stuff like that, I had to do hoorah. You know, here was this computer jockey who wore his uniform, and then I had to wear my, I had to wear my battle dress uniform when I would go out into the field with the 82nd Airborne, the guys with the, the maroon uh, berets. Before everybody got to wear berets, they were special because they had the maroon berets, you know, and stuff like that. And then I worked with the green berets, and they looked at me, and I just had the regular hat, you know. And uh, and so I was just a nothing. But I was the what? I was still the officer. Does that make sense? And I had to to portray the officer, and I had to do the things that the officer did. Now, there's a positive in that. There's a negative in that. I know how to do the show. I know how to play my part. Does that make sense? When I was a shoe salesman, you think used car salesmen are bad? Shoe salesmen are worse. Anyways, and I was a shoe salesman, okay? And I learned how to be a salesman. In fact, before I was saved, I used to write songs all the time. And, um, and I, I wrote a, a trilogy song once. And anyways, it's called A Walk in a Park. You don't need to know it about it. Anyways, but one of the, the little three parts of it was called The Salesman. He's a super salesman. He sells himself. It was all about me. I mean, it was a, that walk in the park was all about me, you know? And that one little segment was about the show, the show. And then I went into the military, and I learned more about the, the show, okay? And I'm just being honest. I flay myself, I mean, because... There's no temptations overtaking me, but such is common to man. And so I, I know you guys struggle with some of this stuff, too, the show. And you just may not be willing to admit it. 
we got to be careful of putting on the the show. It's got to be from the heart. We have to love one another fervently. Fervently. Now, you guys know I love the Steelers fervently. I joke about it, okay, a lot. But, you know, but if we're going to talk football, there's no other football team. So, you know, it's just the way it is. And so there's a fervency when it comes to football. It needs to be a fervency in my love for you all. And I'd love to tell you that I'm, I'm dead there. And I am, I am unwaveringly um, solid on that all the time. But you know I'd be lying to you. I'd be a hypocrite. But that needs to be my goal, and it needs to be your goal. Because it begins in my heart, and it's going to be materialized in my, my actions. That's exactly what happened in that early church. All of a sudden, people had a need, and everybody else did what? Did whatever they could to meet the needs, including selling property to meet needs. I ask myself, self, could you imagine that happening in the church of the United States? Could you imagine somebody getting ready to lose their home, not because they overspent or whatever else, but just because events had occurred, or maybe because of their witness for Jesus Christ, they came to know Christ, and so therefore they couldn't do the work they were doing anymore. Maybe they couldn't do the work they were doing anymore, you know, because the work they were doing was not honoring to God, whatever, okay? And so they're going to lose all that. Could you imagine people in the church of the United States selling cars? You know, because i got four. Who needs four? I can live with three. I got two. Who needs two? I can live with one. Could you imagine people selling a car, getting $5,000 for it, so they could donate it to that person so they didn't lose their house? Could you imagine people in a church today selling land? Maybe they got 100 acres, and they sell off 50 so they can pay off that person's house, and they never have to worry about the debt anymore. You hear a pin drop, huh? It won't happen. I, I can't imagine a church. I can't imagine. It'd be phenomenal. It would be, as that book that came out recently, radical. It would turn the world upside down. The world would have a hard time gripping it. Because there were Americans who were flipping the American dream upside down. And it wasn't all about their own parcel of land. It was about everybody else's parcel. That's the love. Now, what's the illustration in this materialism, this materialization of that love? It's exactly what God did. Even while we were yet sinners... While we were at enmity with him, what did he do for us? He died for us. He gave the ultimate sacrifice for us. And oh, I know, I know, it's so easy. to We wouldn't say this because we're very spiritual. But it's so easy for us to inside ourselves in our little flesh, little segment there, to internalize this one and say, but he was God. 
It was his eternal plan. He knew he'd come back. He knew he'd resurrect. I mean, come on. You know. Honestly, how many of us would just come right out and say that? No, we wouldn't say that. But the, the devil's inside there. You know, not if you would. There's a little battling going on in the flesh and the spirit kind of thing. And, and we, we want to minimize God's sacrifice sometimes. But that's the sacrifice that God calls us to make for one another. And so he specifically tells us, in, in there back there in 1 John, and in chapter 3, as we read it from this morning, he says, But whoever has this world's goods, and sees his brother in need, and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? And then later in chapter 4, he says, If, if we cannot love the ones whom we can see, how can we ever say we love God whom we cannot see? The manifestation, the true manifestation, the right manifestation of my love for God is really going to come out in my love for you who are called by his name. And I really portray then what I love the most. Do I love me or do I love God? If I love me, who gets the porridge? I do. If I love God, you get the porridge. See, it's not even now, think about it, because now it's not even a matter of that I'm loving you, I'm loving God, and because I love God, I love you. Unlike our current president, who recently came out seeking to quote scripture, but he quoted his own little versions of it, with the golden rule and everything, to, to try to substantiate why he's for gay rights because it's loving his neighbor as himself you know do unto others as you would have them do unto you that's nowhere in the bible but anyways it, you know it's called the golden rule and and but so he's trying to base his acceptance of of homosexuality which is clearly unbiblical on the loving the neighbor and before we throw stones, let's ask ourselves, how many times does the church do that? It's called the social gospel, where we elevate loving our neighbor above loving God. And we focus on the neighbor and not on God. Now, what that does is sometimes, then I'm going to help people, okay, but it's not because of God. But mostly what usually happens is, it comes out the other way. I don't help people. Because those people aren't what? worth my helping. But I have to see each one of you as being made in the image and likeness of God. That's just you generally, whether you're a believer or not. But then secondly, more heightened, you are called by his name. You are, you are adopted through the blood of Jesus Christ and you are now more a brother and sister to me than my brothers and sisters are. But I praise God that my brother is, is now saved. My sister is saved. I mean, I, I rejoice in that, that they're not just my physical brothers and sisters. They're my eternal brothers and sisters. But I've said for years, and I, and I mean this honestly, those who are my brothers and sisters spiritually are more my brothers and sisters than my brothers and sisters who are physical. But we don't get that. As a church, as not just family Bible church, but church, 
we don't get that. And we become more committed to blood than we do to spirit. Love. Brethren, let us love one another. For love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God. I don't know how else to say that other than how God has already through John declared it. So, how committed to you, and I, when I say committed here, I mean it from the sense of agapao, selfless love. How committed to the assembly, to the body, are you? Are you loving in word only, or indeed in truth? If there was a need that you knew in this body, would you do it? Now, I'm not saying that nobody's doing it. Years ago, in the previous church I was at, I remember getting a little frustrated, feeling like things weren't happening, and then I found out that behind the scenes, how many things were going on, and I was ashamed before my Lord that I would even, okay? And so, so I'm not coming and saying it's not happening. I'm just putting it out there. Because for some of you, this may be something that you need to deal with. Okay? For others of you, maybe you're on the cusp of it. As a body, we need to repent and become committed to community rather than individuality. As I said in Sunday school, it's too easy for us to look at the other people, to look at the world, to look at other churches, and say they need to change. But you know, when God spoke, when Yahweh spoke to Israel, take it by spiritual application, he says, um, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and turn from their, their wicked ways, then I will heal, hear and I will heal the land. He doesn't say, when the people who are called by my name will call unto me regarding sins and atrocities of the people they live amongst, then I will hear, I will hear and I will come and, and beat up those bad people and wicked people. And I will give them a godly president. He says, when those who are called by my name turn from their wicked ways. And we have to ask ourselves, have we been influenced by the ways of this world? By the American dream? By the individualism that goes on in this land? It's all about me. The sense of community, communalism, is the Greek word koinonia. That says one for all and all for one. That you have a problem, it's my problem. You have a need, it's my need. You have a blessing, I'm rejoicing with you because it's my blessing too. That's what the early church got. They understood the difference between communalism and communism. That's what community is. Community is a communal thing. Anybody want to define the difference between communalism and communism to me? Voluntary. Good. Forced and voluntary. Communalism is voluntary. I choose to have community. Communism says, we're making you a community. Huh? I take it on you and I give it to them and everybody's happy. Because I take my cut. Anyways, so we need to become committed to community. And finally... Are we reflecting the love of Christ 
in our love for one another, such that the world can look in and see Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your love for me. Clearly, Lord, apart from you, I am nothing. Thank you that while I was your enemy, while I was at war against you, while I was seeking my own ways and my own desires, you still loved me. And you called out to me. And you provoked me with your word and your spirit. I thank you that Jesus died for my sins. And Lord, I ask that you would help me to exude your love for me to others. That I would be a conduit of your love. Forgive me, Lord, for loving myself more than I love you. Forgive me for loving myself more than I love these others. Lord, help us to desire to be servants. To desire to love for your glory. In Christ's name.